0: Uh, as you are making your way to your seats, make sure to uh, well, you'll have a, a bulletin uh, in your seat, and uh, it's good to see you all here. Uh, for uh, those who might be joining us first time, whether you're here or via live stream, my name is Ademi, and I'm the pastor, and we're glad that you could be with us to worship the Lord together. And just have a couple of a quick announcements before we uh, we, wor- before we worship the Lord through some songs. The first is that uh, our men's Bible study has started uh, this past, uh, or yesterday actually, uh, working through the book of James, and that continues, uh, will continue for the next uh, 11 more weeks. So if you have any questions about that, please see uh, Jeff Fremers or Eric Pigman, who's in the back. And also, uh, just a reminder that next uh, Sunday we do have our congregational meeting, and this is just to... Uh, to go over our revised budget for 2020 because of different changes because of COVID. And so uh, trying to be as, as thorough uh, and as brief as possible because uh, it'll be right after service next Sunday and we don't want to keep everybody here uh, for too long, especially just because it's uncomfortable to sit for, for a long period of time with a mask on. So we want to be thorough at uh, that meeting. And so we are asking that uh, if you have any questions at all, the budget has already been uh, sent via email. If you want a physical copy, please talk, talk to myself or Marissa, but um, if you have any questions at all, please submit your questions via email to myself or Jay, and we will answer those questions as promptly as possible, and, but we are willing to entertain questions during next week's meeting, uh, but uh, preferably if you have any questions, submit them beforehand so that we don't, we're not here keeping you uh, for too long. So uh, that's all I have for today, and uh, let's continue. Let's just uh, get our hearts ready to worship the Lord uh, through some songs this morning.
1: I invite you to stand as I read our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 1. And meditate on these words as I read them. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is despised and low in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now we're going to be singing a new song this morning, but you will hear some words from a hymn that you all will know very, very well. So I invite you to sing with me. I have All I have
2: because of Jesus All this promise won for me When he paid the highest ransom Once for always For my free And I will boast in Christ alone, His righteousness, and not my own. And I will cling to Christ, my hope, His mercy. Can make me whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, so oh, precious and oh. and then, of sorrows, then.
1: salvation. Sing us out.
2: your story this morning. And now my debt is paid. It is paid. story once more.
1: upon the glorious sacrifice that Christ made on the behalf of you and me.
0: Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us through Jesus Christ. According to your definite plan and foreknowledge, you delivered him up To the hands of sinners, to the hands of Pontius Pilate, to be crucified on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for making such a sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you, Jesus, for not only your willingness, but your desire to submit to the Father's plan to die on our behalf. Although we cannot imagine just the, the sorrow and the agony that it was for God the Father to lose God the Son and for the Son to be separated from the presence of the Father, we are so incredibly filled with gratitude for what was purchased for us, for this redemption. To think that we would look at the cross this instrument that was used as a form of execution, that we would glory in it because in the cross, we see the glory of Christ. Because in that cross, we see our salvation. So we praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, and we pray for us. We pray for our church. We pray, Lord, that you would help us and strengthen us to be a people who lay down our lives for you. if you should make such an incredible sacrifice to give up your own son, how could we not also lay down our lives and give up our lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your glory? Even your scriptures tell us that he who puts his hand to the plow but looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. Help us to be a people who put our hands to the plow and work and never look back. Because of the joy that there is in having a relationship with Jesus Christ, and for the joy that awaits us in heaven, the eternal blessings that are there. Father, we pray for those in our midst who are sick, for those who are suffering, for those who are going through a difficult season in their life. Father, we pray that you would help them and sustain them, that you may remind them, Lord, of the truth that we read in, in the book of Romans We are told that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Remind them, Lord, of the wonderful and salvific benefits that there is in Jesus Christ. That even though the gospel does not guarantee to us a perfect life, it does guarantee to us something better than a perfect life in heaven which is the destiny that awaits us all who turn to Jesus Christ. Remind them, Lord, that you are with them, that you are strengthening them. And they are rich because they have Jesus Christ. We pray also specifically for our brother Lloyd, who is having a surgery on Tuesday. We pray that you may protect him and his health. We pray for a smooth recovery and a successful surgery. Father, we pray for the, the work of Bible translation. We pray for the agencies, for the missionaries, for churches who continue to advance and push forward this, this wonderful task. We pray, Father, that, the, that those languages, Lord, that do not have the scriptures, we pray that those scriptures would be translated for their, for their benefit, Lord. For the salvation of those who have yet to hear of the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray specifically for the for the Aru Islands, Lord, in Indonesia, and those who are in the the Gospel of John that is currently being translated. We pray that this project would be completed soon, that the saints who are there may be encouraged, that saints would be edified, that churches would grow because of this translation, and we pray that many people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of this Bible that is being translated in their language. Father, we pray for Spruce Creek Church. We pray that you may be with the saints, that they would glory in their salvation this morning. We pray they would be reminded of gospel truths, We pray that as they reflect on the gospel, that their hearts would be encouraged no matter what they are going through. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for the upcoming elections. Father, we pray that you would give all people just incredible wisdom as we continue to to hear and, and see different things. Father, we pray that you would Help us in our country. We thank you for the encouragement that we have in the Scriptures, Lord, that you are sovereign, that nothing escapes your notice, and all things are in your control. But we do pray that you may give all people wisdom, and we pray that you would put the right person in that position. Father, lastly, we pray we pray for those who are, who are retired. Father, we pray that you may give them rest. We pray that you would help them to f- enjoy the fruits of their long labor. Father, we pray that you may help them to not use rest as a means of perpetual idleness, but that you may help them to use that rest as a means to grow in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. They will continue to abide in Christ, that they may use that time to encourage and edify the saints, that they may continue to fulfill the task that you have called them to. Father, we again worship you for giving us your son who became to us our righteousness and who became to us our salvation. And we conclude this time in praying in his name the prayer that he has taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So, if you would please turn to John chapter 19. Verses one down to verse sixteen. John Chapter nineteen, verses one through sixteen. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. And then Arameh Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified is the word of the lord. Father, we pray that you may be with us this morning as we so we go through this passage as we think about Jesus's being about Jesus being delivered to the hands of sinners to be crucified. May we see his glory And may we see what you have for us this morning through this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've had the experience of expecting an ordinary day when that that day turns out to be anything but ordinary. I'm sure that's probably the case for Pontius Pilate, expecting an ordinary day, but then having a man called Jesus brought before him By the Jews to be tried and to be executed. Now, Pilate being a governor over that region, he always presided over over court cases. He presided over his own court, rendered judgments, and even condemned people to be executed. But if you've been following along the Gospel of John, if you're familiar with the gospel at all, right, then you know that this is this isn't any ordinary case. He's considered that this person before him, this Jesus, is actually an innocent man and is not worthy of, having, of him being crucified. So even though he was accustomed to doing all these things, this was no ordinary case. And even in this passage, even some, we learn some things about Pilate. Now, history tells us a lot about Pilate. Pilate history tells us that Pilate was actually a very cruel individual He would put pagan signs out in public to intentionally anger and mock the Jews. He was known to take bribes. He was also known to give people in unfair trials. And later on in his life, he was actually called to resign from his office because of his use of excessive force. So this was a man who was actually... Be given over to violence when he saw a benefit from it to get his own way. Now, obviously, the Gospels, Gospels don't tell us all these things about Pilate, but they do tell us something about Pilate from this passage. And we'll see that a little bit later, but in this passage, we also see some things concerning Jesus Christ. The first thing we see that we see is Christ's condescension. So, Pilate, as he's questioning Jesus, considers he's innocent, and tries to release him. Right, he sees that he's getting nowhere. The Jews are demanding, especially the religious leaders, are demanding that Jesus be tried and that Jesus be ex- executed. Now, then Pilate has Jesus flogged, and if you read the other gospel accounts, Jesus being flogged comes later. So immediately after his being delivered to crucify, to be crucified, but here it happens much earlier. And so, what's kind of the? And so it's kind of interesting to figure out what? What is it? Did it happen earlier? Did it happen after? And the answer is actually quite simple, but also also cruel. And that is that it, Jesus was actually flogged twice. You see, Jesus was at first this when we read here in the passage of John 19. Jesus received a lighter flogging, still painful, but it's still a lighter flogging in comparison to the second one that he would receive. Now, the lighter flogging was reserved for those who would be considered troublemakers. And actually, when in one of the books I've read, it actually uh, is for those who are charged with what's called a uh, hooliganism. So, anybody who is considered to be a, a, a hooligan, I guess, somebody who's a troublemaker, would be flogged, stern, war, war, uh, uh, or warned sternly to cease from their whatever behavior that they're doing and would be set free and hopefully that would stop put an end to it and so this lighter version of the flogging was most likely what jesus had faced here early on before jesus before pilate presented jesus before the crowd The other flogging, the other kind of flogging, the second kind, was reserved for those who were actually condemned to be crucified. And the Romans were vicious. I mean, they would have these metal shards at the end of the whips and and whip that individual until the Roman soldiers tired out or until the criminal actually died, which happened at times. And the purpose was to weaken the criminal so much so that once he gets to the cross and is crucified, well, that he dies much sooner. So at this point in the passage, we're not there yet. Jesus receives the lighter version of the flogging, though still painful. So it tells that Jesus is clothed by the officers in purple, the color of royalty, most likely probably clothed in a, in a sheet. And he put, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And here we have one of the many cases in the Gospel of John of irony, right? Because Jesus is clothed and robed as a king, which he said he was, and we saw that last week, and we believe him to be. So in a sense, they're actually worshiping as a king, not knowing that he actually is, was in fact a king. And this scene, this scene really speaks to the condescension of Jesus Christ, right? the King of kings and the Lord of lords condescends to us not only to add a human nature to himself, to the divine nature that he already has, but he also allows himself to be mocked, to be spat upon, to be beaten. All for our sake. In the story of, of Robin Hood, right, King Richard comes back into his country incognito with one of his soldiers and then Robin Hood captures them, thinking that they're the enemy, thinking that they, they work for Prince John. And so they, they question them, harass them, until finally King Richard will have, it, will have none of it. And he takes off the robes, shows his, his, uh, his lion crest, and Robin Hood immediately recognizes that this is the king, and he bows down to him. Right? Jesus could have done that at any moment. Remove the veil of humanity to show his splendor, to show his glory, to show his divinity. And at that moment, these soldiers would have cowered in fear and bowed down to him, but he doesn't. He relents. He condescends and allows himself to be treated so harshly because he desired to purchase our our redemption and salvation. So then after this, Jesus is presented again to the crowds and once again declared innocent by Pilate. So even though Pilate considers Jesus to be an innocent man, He hasn't flogged anyway. He's thinking, well, if I have him, I think he's innocent. Let me flog him. Let me have him beat and then present him before me. There he is. He's been punished, and now we can let him go, thinking that this would appease the anger of the crowds. But as we see, it doesn't appease the anger of the crowds. The crowds will stop at nothing but crucifixion. The crowds, especially the religious authorities, they want Jesus crucified. They think that Jesus is a blasphemer, that he's offended God. Now, what's interesting about the passage is that it's actually Pilate and the Romans who have more, who have an accurate, better understanding of who Jesus is than the Jews themselves, right? In jest, they mock Jesus and they crown him as king. They give him the purple robes, a crown of thorns. And last week, we saw that Jesus did not, did not deny that he was, in fact, the king. And then Pilate presents Jesus to the crowds after, after having him flogged. That says, this is an innocent man. Behold, I find no guilt in him. Right, so he's a king, and he's innocent, right? And we know that he is, in fact, both of those things. Right, 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus knew no sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 tells us that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was an innocent man. And when Pilate presents Jesus before the crowds, he says, behold the man. Right, because Jesus, obviously Pilate wasn't, <laughs> didn't realize what he was actually affirming about Jesus. Jesus was, in fact, a man. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus took on the form of a servant, took on the likeness of human beings adding that humanity to himself. So Jesus was fully God, and at the same time, fully 100% man. Right, and we'll see later on in the Gospel of John that he was, in fact, more than just a man. And so in these ways, the Romans were more correct about Jesus than the Jews were. And in this way, Jesus condescends to us to suffer in the ways that he did. And then second, similar to the first, We see Christ's submission. So in verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, He will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So, at this point, Pilate has a growing fear of the crowds because they want nothing more than blood to be spilled. And not only that. Thinking about Pilate and what history tells us about Pilate, Pilate was a man who did wasn't shy about flaunting his authority. So when he has all these these crowds and religious teachers wanting their will and not his will, especially by a people he doesn't like very much, well, obviously he doesn't like that. But also fearing some kind of insurrection, he feels compelled to do what they want. But he has a greater fear. It tells us in the passage, he has a greater fear at the moment that the Jews say that Jesus makes himself out to be the son of God. You see, the Romans were superstitious. They were pagan, and they worshiped many gods, and so they had a category for a divine man. So when when he hears that this person claims to be the son of God, he takes that pretty seriously. Is this actually a divine man? Have I actually been flogging a divine man? So he brings Jesus back for more questioning. And he asks him, where are you from? And Pilate is not trying to ask him, what town are you from? That doesn't do anything to this case. That doesn't help in any way. What he's trying to get at is, where are you actually from? Are you from here or are you from above? And Pilate, I mean, Jesus doesn't answer his question. Do not know I have authority to release you, an authority to crucify you, and Jesus appeals to a greater authority, the greater authority that comes from above. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So Christ's humility comes from his submission to God the Father. It is only because he submits to the sovereign will of the Father that he can submit himself to the sinful man's authority. Acts chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So ultimately, he was submitting to the Father's will. If I drop my children off to some babysitters, where I tell my children, these are your babysitters, obey them and listen to them, then I I expect them to, to listen and to obey and to respect. Not only because the babysitters are an authority figures, But also because I have studied that I have asked them, I have commanded them to be obedient and to listen and to respond. And their submission to the babysitters is also their submission to me. Jesus submits to sinful man's authority because ultimately he's submitting to God the Father's sovereign plan and will. So his submission is a reflection of his reverence to God the Father. So Christ sets aside his own authority, authority that surpasses, far surpasses the authority of Pilate and submits to him as a reflection of his submission to the authority and the plan of God. Now, being in the place of authority, Pilate has the decision to make. He has the authority to release Jesus or to crucify Jesus. Right, which will he choose? Now, Jesus says, Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is implying that Pilate is in sin, probably alluding to the sin of having the divine man flogged, and probably also alluding to the sin of, that will, is coming, and that is delivering Jesus to be crucified. But Jesus says that there is one with greater sin. Now, most people think that is referring to Judas Iscariot, who did, who betrayed Jesus into the hands of sinners. Now, Judas did, in fact, create obviously uh, commit a great and grievous sin, but I don't think that's who Jesus is referring to. Jesus, I think, is referring to Caiaphas, the high priest, the high priest who is commanded to intercede on behalf of the people, to go into the Holy of Holies, to present an offering to God to appease the wrath of God for the sins of the nation. The high priest who was a teacher and a leader of God's people, the high priest who oversaw the Levitical priesthood. Judas may have been the one who betrayed Jesus into the hands of Caiaphas, but everything could have stopped at Caiaphas. But Caiaphas is the one who delivers Jesus over to be crucified. They will not stop until Jesus is crucified. And even to Caiaphas, Jesus is willing to submit out of humility and out of submission as a reflection of his submission to God. So Jesus humbled himself to suffer such abuse because he was purchasing our redemption. Luke 24, verse 26, Jesus himself asked, was it not a rhetorical question? Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory, right? The answer is that yes, it was necessary that Christ should suffer in these ways. Christ paid the debt of sin for you so that you wouldn't have to. Christ agonized and suffered so that you wouldn't have to. Christ took the wrath of God on your behalf so that you wouldn't have to. Christ took the crucifixion so that you could live forever as an innocent and blameless and righteous son of God. It was necessary that Christ should suffer To purchase our redemption, and if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and that means that debt of sin that has to be paid, you are going to have to pay, and you will pay for that for eternity, unless you turn to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. Well, then we come to the final act of the trial. From then on, in verse 12, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. And in Aramaic Gabbatha, that was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So, Pilate takes his seat at the seat of judgment, right? A serious, a serious place. It was the place where this judgment would be served, where justice would be served. Well, like a, not true justice anyway, as long as man sits on the place of judgment. Right? In a courtroom right, something serious happens, right, and even in the courtroom, right, the the trial doesn't even begin until the judge comes in and takes his seat, and the trial doesn't end until the judge says it's over. Nowadays, right, and I think you're familiar with this, right, now trials and courtrooms provide us some sort of uh, entertainment. You're familiar with those TV shows that take place in a courtroom of law, right, and some of them are, are actually serious, and some of them actually can be quite comical, But people suing each other over this, over that, right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't watch those shows, but at the same time, I'm also saying that just to remember just how serious a place like that is. It's in places like those that entire lives can be altered. It's a place where it can be filled with indescribable joy or it can be filled with insurmountable despair. all because of what comes out of the judge. And God also has a courtroom in heaven where he presides as the divine judge, and he will always give a right verdict. So Pilate takes his seat, and once more he tries to set Jesus free. He calls Jesus a king because he doesn't see this identity or this title as a threat to Rome or as a threat to Caesar and he has the authority to release Jesus. But ultimately, he gives in to the desires of the crowds. Right? History tells us that, G- that Pilate was a cruel man. He was an unjust man, even a violent man. And, Christ, and the scriptures show us also a different picture of Pilate. And that is of a man who lacked courage. And if there's anything that we can take from this, here is the lesson for us all. That we should not be governed by Fear. We shouldn't be governed by our fears. Now, as in the passage, we see more than just the fear of a man. We see the glory of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of Christ as he suffers, as he's questioned, as he's interrogated. We see the glory of Christ as he's beaten, as he's flogged twice. We see the glory of Christ as he's hung up on the cross to be crucified. The cross of Christ is the glory of Jesus Christ. And we see something else in this trial. And that is... We see fear and we see courage. Fear is a terrible, terrible taskmaster. Fear enslaves you. Fear constrains you. Fear keeps you from doing what you ought to do. Fear fills your mind and heart with doubt, with anxiety, with worry about things that may not even happen. That you just consider to be possibilities. I'm not talking about terror, not that kind of fear, but I'm talking about the everyday kind of fear. The kind of fear that most people, if not many of us, have, but have grown accustomed to and are so familiar with that we don't even realize. If you ever lied and didn't want to face the consequences of telling the truth, well, then you're fearful you have had an opportunity to do the right thing or say the right thing, but you were worried about what people might think or say about you? Well, you're being fearful. you have had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, but you didn't want to be rejected or worried about what they might think about you or do to you? Well, then you're being fearful. We're driven by our fears more than we realize. And to be controlled by fear is, is no way to live. Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whisper, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Now hear me, the point of the passage is not to try to scare anybody into sharing the gospel. The point of the passage actually is intended to try to comfort you and to encourage you. Because we oftentimes have the fear of man. It's It's not a sinful thing to be afraid. But it's a different matter to let our fear govern our actions. And the passage intended to encourage us, to comfort us, that there is a God who has the power, who has the authority to throw both body and soul into hell, and that this one who has the authority cares about you, is looking out for you, is looking to comfort you, is looking to strengthen you, is looking to encourage you and embolden you. He cares for you, and he has all of the hairs on your head numbered. If you don't have any head, then he has all the hair of your beard numbered. The Lord wants you to have courage. In his humility and condescension, Christ himself shows himself to be courageous. And I'm so thankful that he was courageous because otherwise, if he wasn't, then I would be a a, a sinner condemned to hell right now. And it's not that Jesus wasn't afraid at all. He was afraid. I mean, in other gospels, we read that in the Garden of Gethsemane, moments before his arrest, He agonized. And he prayed that the Lord would take this cup from him. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Even that prayer was a prayer of courage. On the other hand, we have Pilate in a position of great authority and yet succumbed to fear. Authority no matter how high that is, there's no guarantee of courage. For you and I, how else might this courage look like? In Joshua 1.7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. And those words were given to a man who took the place of Moses as God's leader over God's people. And so to be strong and courageous, doing the will of the Lord, not turning from the left or not turning to the right. King Jehoshaphat made many mistakes during his, during his reign. But early on, it is said in 2 Chronicles 17, 6, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. I've heard this before; and you probably heard this as well. That courage is not the absence of fear, and I think that's accurate. Courage is the resolve to do what you're called to do, no matter what. Courage is to continue to walk in the ways of the Lord, no matter the pressures that are coming from wherever. missionary john g Patton was a courageous fellow but he wasn't a man that never had any fear he was called to be a missionary to share the gospel with these islands in between australia and hawaii and these were a native people that were vicious they were cannibals and if you've seen the last couple of facebook videos that we put out on the facebook page and you know what kind of where i'm going with this but john was always afraid he was afraid of sickness. He himself was sick. He lost a wife and child due to sickness. And then he had the constant fear of the natives. In one particular instance, one of, in one of his days, he tells about how one of the wild chiefs of the land was following him around for four hours with a musket loaded and ready and pointed in his direction. I don't know about you, but I'd be terrified. And yeah, this, is, this is what John says when he recounts that moment. If I can pull it up. He says this. Speaking about the, the chief, he said, I spoke kindly to him. <laughs> so he actually engaged in conversation with the man who was pointing a gun in his direction and attended to my work as if he had not been there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me till my allotted task was finished. Looking up in unceasing prayer to our dear Lord Jesus, I left all in his hands and felt immortal till my work was done. Trials and hairbreadth breadth escapes strengthened my faith and seemed only to nerve me for more to follow and they did tread swiftly upon each other's heels amazing again that's not that he wasn't afraid he was afraid yet he cast his cares upon the lord courage biblical courage is to do what ought to be done It's doing what the Lord has called you to do, what the Lord commanded you to do, to abide in the Lord, to walk in his commandments, no matter what fear there is in your heart. It's not a sinful thing to be afraid. But fear is no reason to stop following the Lord and to do what you're called to do. I mean, why didn't this chief pull the trigger? I have no idea, right? We'd have to ask him. Probably maybe he was intending to just scare him off but I think that just maybe it was the Lord that prevented that man from pulling the trigger. I mean, did you hear what John Patton said? As he cared, passed his cares upon the Lord, he felt immortal until his task was complete. That's where the courage comes from. We cast our cares upon the Lord and entrust him to care for us. Right, The world and the devil may have the musket ready and loaded, pointed in our direction. But trusting in the Lord means that the Lord is with you and has his shield about you, and that no one will take your life until the Lord says that it is time. That you and I are immortal until the Lord calls us home. That's where courage comes from. What can men do to us when the Lord is with us and by our side? What the world needs right now is not cowardly Christians. What the world needs, what the Lord is calling us to, is to be men and women of courage. And that courage comes from following the Lord, not turning from the left hand or to the right and trusting Him with our very lives. So may we be bold and courageous. Let me pray. Here, Jesus, we we praise you and thank you that even as you agonized, as you looked to the cross, and even as you suffered in bearing that cross, you did not let the fear of pain, you did not let the fear of man, you did not let... You did not let the fear of being separated from God deter you from what you have been called to do, and that is purchase our redemption. Lord, help us to imitate that courage. Lord, give us that courage and us so that we may not allow the fear of man to dictate us, to govern our lives, and to keep us from doing what you have called us to do, what you have placed us on this earth to do. Just to glorify you, to proclaim the gospel, and perhaps other specific things that you have called us to do. Lord, we trust you for all these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: Please stand and sing with us. As Demi and I were playing this service this week, the Lord brought to mind the fact that Pilate calls Jesus, our King. He says, Behold our King. And he's doing almost in a mocking way. But as we sing this song, be reminded that Jesus now is resurrected and is reigning. And we can behold him as our King.
2: Bonnie said
1: sing this next song, let this be a moment of reflection upon the glorious sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Of everything that he did in order that we might live as fearless children of God. As we come to our time of benediction, in light of what we've preached about, what we've listened to about the cross, hear these words again from 1 Corinthians 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, that is us, brother and sister, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Go forth, brothers and sisters, in the peace of knowing Christ our Lord and the way that he takes away our fear in life. You are dismissed until we return again. Lord willing.